Again, peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for the message today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the mercy that you have showered upon us by sending your Son, Jesus, to be our Savior. We pray this day, O Lord, that as we hear his word, that you would convict us in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Teach us what it means to follow you faithfully, no matter what may come our way. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a very practical world. And as Americans, we are very practical people. In fact, one of the, the predominant philosophies that drives the way Americans think is a philosophy known as pragmatism, pragmatic pragmatism. We get a very practical philosophy. Uh, pragmatism is a philosophy that drives a lot of the education system uh, in our country. Pragmatism was a philosophy really kind of championed by two big thinkers in, in uh, a couple of uh, hundred years ago. One guy named uh, William James, if you've ever heard of William James, and the other is John Dewey. Now, you may be familiar with Dewey, the last name there, Dewey Decimal System, if you've ever been to the library. John Dewey was the guy who came up with the Dewey Decimal System. And this is a very practical and pragmatic way to organize books in a library to make them much easier to find. It's very efficient, it's very useful, it's very helpful. It's a great way to organize books in the library. Pragmatism. And so this idea of pragmatism is, is simply this, that we want things that are efficient. The value of something is found in how well it works for me, how much it helps me. If I want to fix my life, if I want to improve my situation somehow, uh, if I want to make life easier or better, I need to find some system to work with that will get me there. And if something that comes along that makes my life harder, I simply get rid of it. Why would I want anything in my life to make it any harder? What I want is a life that's efficient, that's simple, that, makes, that fixes uh, my problems and makes life easier for me. If I find something that doesn't make my life easier, I simply throw it away. That's the idea of pragmatism. Whatever works is what is good. This is fine. And it's very good in terms of like organizing your library books or inventing lawnmowers or microwaves or something like this. But there's a problem with this philosophy when it comes to our understanding of God. And I fear that too much of this thinking has crept into the church in the way we view God. We want God to work for us. We want God to be practical for us. God is only valuable so, uh, for me insofar as he works for me. That's the mentality. So I have, have a hard question for you today. Why are you here? Like, why do you come to church? Are you here because the weight of the law is crushing you and you know you desperately need to hear once again the forgiveness of your sins? Are you here because Christ has beckoned you to take up a cross and follow him? Or are you here because, you know, it works? It's good for you. It gives you a social situation to be in. Are you here simply because it helps you uh, network with others? It's a practically good thing for you to come to church. Why do you come to church? 
I remember seeing all, these, these sort of studies come up all the time in, in my, uh, my news feed, my, my news feed, that's what I call Facebook now. Uh, <laughs> these, I see these studies come up all the time online talking about uh, the value of going to church or the value of prayer. And they'll say things like, do you know that people who go to church and spend time daily in prayer live longer, happier, healthier lives? And they'll show you all the medical upside of going to church and all the medical upside of being in prayer. And that's good, I guess, as far as it goes, but it only really works in a pragmatic American situation. I mean, think about the early church. If you go to church, you know what happens? Like the, the upside of going to church is for you? You might get, you know, uh, martyred. What happens to our brothers and sisters across the world who are suffering for their faith? Going to church is a threat to their life. There's no real cash value in that. What's the payoff? Flip side of it, think of uh, a Buddhist, someone who spends hours a day in meditation, eats a perfect diet according to their religion. It lives to be over 100 years old, completely serene and peaceful, happy and healthy. Seems like there's a great deal of value to that religion. And at the same time, no one's asking the question, is it true? See, what matters more, that it works or that it's true? See, for us Americans, we want everything to work for us want everything to sort of do what we want it to do to make our situations better. We have a big problem when it comes to Christianity. And that problem for us is Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't work for us. Just look at how Jesus deals with uh, the people of Nazareth, his hometown, today in our reading from the gospel. We heard it in the gospel, we heard it in the children's message, but but just kind of to recount the situation here, Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and Luke says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, and he stood up, and they handed him the scroll, and he began to read from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I love this scene. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wonderful scene. Jesus stands up, he reads from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Everybody here is waiting for this Messiah, this guy, to arrive. Well, good news, I'm here. This text is about me. The people of Nazareth are thrilled. They're like, oh, this is a hometown guy. He's one of our own. This is going to be great for us here in Nazareth. You know, old Nazareth, it didn't have a very good reputation. Remember in John's Gospel when Jesus shows up on the scene and someone says, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And another of the disciples is like, Nazareth? Anything good come out of Nazareth? And they look down on Nazareth. Nazareth was a joke to the people, but not now. Now the Messiah is coming from us, and now our reputation is going to rise. Can you imagine what this is going to do for the tourist bureau here in Nazareth? This is great. You're going to have tours. You can take in the Holy Land for thousands of years because of Jesus. This is wonderful. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? 
loved this because they thought Jesus was here now as a means to an end for them. He was going to make everything better for good old man. And Jesus quickly rebukes and corrects such thinking. He looks at the people and says, this is not going to go the way you think this is going to go. Pretty soon you're going to look at me and you're going to say the opposite of what I just of what you're saying now. Pretty soon you're going to look at me and you're going to say, physician, heal thyself, which is just a, a phrase that they used in those days to say something like this. You need to take care of your own before you start taking care of others. Jesus says, you're going to look at me and say, physician, heal thyself. Take care of us here in Nazareth like you're taking care of the rest of the world. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to go out just like Elijah and Elijah, uh, Elisha in the Old Testament. And though there's great need here, I'm going to go and do my ministry all throughout the rest of the world, serving the Gentiles, serving the people that you despise, serving the people that you don't like, caring for the people and bringing the kingdom of God to people that you deem as your enemies. Jesus says, because I've come for you, but not only for you, and not only for those who are Israelites by birth, but I've come for all who are captive to sin and in need of release. I've come to all who are spiritually blind and need sight. Jesus is saying, listen, I come to bring the year of the Lord's favor, as Isaiah says, but not on your terms. I come to do it on my terms. I don't work for you, Jesus says. I work for God. God the Father has sent me, God the Son, in the power of God the Holy Spirit to bring salvation to the world. I mean, just... Quick side note, you're going to talk about how impractical God is. You have one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The math isn't even practical when it comes to God. He's Trinitarian. He's beyond us. He doesn't work on our terms. And, and the reality of this, the reality that Jesus comes to work for God on God's terms uh, for our sake, it, it actually res results in two responses through, uh, from the people throughout the Scriptures and, frankly, throughout the history of the world. The first response we see to this message uh, comes to us from the people of Nazareth, who very quickly in our reading today turn from celebration to murder. <laughs> they go from saying, we love that Jesus is saying this, to deciding that it's time to throw him off of a cliff. And so they carry him out to the edge of Nazareth, and they hold him on this cliff, cliff, and I guess they're just ready to throw him off because they're thinking to themselves, listen, if he won't work for us, then we don't need him. If he's not practical, then we'll just throw him away. And we'll go find another Messiah that will be practical for us, that will work for us, that will solve our problems and make our lives easier and bring us renown. Jesus doesn't do what I want. Why should I follow? Now, it looks kind of shocking to see people change so quickly in the reading from the text. But I was thinking about it this week. Where do we see this in our own lives? It's like every time we read the Bible, Right? Like, you open the Bible, and you're reading through verses, and you're like, this is great. I love this God. This God's amazing. And then there comes a text that sort of doesn't agree with your political views or doesn't agree with uh, the way you want to do things in your life or doesn't agree with your certain life situation, and you're like, well, I'll just kind of cut those out and remove them and go back to the stuff that I like. I'll just sort of, you know, turn Jesus into a wax nose that will work for me because I don't want to let go of the Bible. It's working for me for the most part, but there's certain parts of it that I disagree with. So I'll just throw those away, take them off a cliff and burn them. So I don't have to deal with them anymore. People will do this as they, as they look for a religion or look for a church 
They'll go church shopping and they'll try and find a place where they feel more comfortable, that works for them. They're not asking the question, am I hearing the word of God here? Is Christ being proclaimed from the scriptures in this place? But rather, does this work for me? How does it make me feel? See, the problem is we put ourselves in the driver's seat of our faith and we're trying to find some kind of God to sit next to us, but it doesn't work that way with God. He alone is in charge. He does things on his terms. As I mentioned in the children's message today, it is remarkable that though this is the attitude of the people in Nazareth, they can't really use this attitude to stop Jesus from doing the exact things he said he was going to do. This is one of those passages where I really hope we have video replay in heaven. It always fascinates me. It's like, oh, they carried him out to a cliff to throw him over the cliff. And Jesus passed through the crowd. Like, he just saunters through the crowd. Like, he just gets away. No big deal. I, I just want to see how that all works. I think it'll be fascinating. But they can't stop him. They go to throw him off the cliff, and Jesus won't stop. Instead, what does he do? He goes to those other towns. He goes to those other regions. He goes to those other people, and he brings the kingdom of God. He proclaims the forgiveness of sins. He sets the captives free. He gives sight to the blind. He creates disciples. He calls others to follow him. He creates faith in the hearts of many. And the faith that Jesus gives is so much greater, so much greater than anything we think that needs to practically work for us. See, Jesus isn't here to find out what you want him to do for you, but to give you faith to trust in the work that he has accomplished for your sake. He calls you to follow him, not so that you can fulfill all of your dreams and, and build your perfect ideal life. No, he calls you to follow him by telling you to take up a cross and enter with him into the cities and into the lives of people that you disagree with, that you don't like, that you think are the chief sinners and the biggest problems in our culture, in our world, in our neighborhood, or in our church. And he calls you to love them and to serve them and to lay down your lives for their sake. He calls you into a life of mercy. It doesn't really work. It might be the death of you. It also comes from a Jesus who gives you new life. You see, Jesus, he might actually make your life harder. He might, from a worldly perspective, make your life worse. But he loves you. He is the one who has done all of what he did for your sake. He is the one who lived the perfect life and gave you credit for it. He is the one who died on the cross to pay for all of your sins. And though it is you and I in our sinfulness who would seek to throw him off the cliff that would not stop him from doing everything necessary to bring you forgiveness, life, and salvation. So he's done it for you, even today. And it may not sound like it's going to work for you, certainly didn't work for those in his hometown of Nazareth. It might be outside your vision for what you want your life to be. Jesus might be, I don't know, awfully inconvenient. That's wonderful news. Because he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He's going to work apart from what you want him to do for your own sake. He's very impractical. He's very inconvenient. He is very unlike us. Praise be to God for it. Amen. Lord Jesus, teach us to trust you. 
teach us to follow you. Teach us, Lord, not to reject your word when it comes to us in a way that is hard for us to handle or hear. But Lord, we pray that you would break us with your law and raise us with your gospel and carry us with you into life everlasting. We ask this in Jesus' name.